Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Pesticide or herbicide bans are being discussed in a number of Canadian cities, including Edmonton, we'll hear from a city councillor, and a landscape specialist. Also, could we be approaching a time where the Chinese escalation in the Taiwan Strait gets more and more concerning and unprecedented? We say that a lot about the Trump presidency, but a raid of his private residence? Cosmetic pesticides, they're under review in many locations across Canada right now, um, and... Uh, So this spring, the provincial government in Winnipeg announced a plan to get rid of a ban. They had an eight-year-old ban on private property use of pesticides, and they've decided to get rid of it and go back to what they had before. Regina, on the other hand, has launched a review of using pesticides on private property in that city. And the clips you just heard were uh, from Monday at uh, City Council in Edmonton, where they're having conversations about the exact same thing, too, whether or not there needs to be... Uh, a ban put in place on private property use of pesticides. I think it's primarily herbicides, but we'll find out for sure. Uh, It was a heated debate. Many, many people on both sides of the argument. Joining us now to walk us through how we got here and what might happen, we have um, Tim Cartmel, who is a city councillor in the city of Edmonton. And uh, Tim, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so just help me define this if you can. Uh, When we talk about commercial or cosmetic pesticides, are we talking primarily about herbicides here, weed killers? That's primarily what this is, right? On Monday, it was primarily what we're talking about. But it it is sort of, in a weird way, connected to past conversations where we were talking about mosquitoes. So, you know, it's kind of ipso facto the same thing, right? You know, pesticides, herbicides, chemicals we're using to sort of alter our, our environment. Where did this come from? I mean, are you hearing from a lot of people in your riding saying, hey, we need to deal with mosquito spraying and with weed spraying? I mean, is this something that's on the minds of people you talk to? Mosquito spraying, no, not once. <laughs> not once was I asked about that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm hearing from the same lobbyists, and, and they're effectively lobbyists that are um, speaking to all councillors that are, that are filling up our inboxes. Uh, and I do hear from some people in, in the ward I represent that, you know, have a bit of concern about the amount and, and the need for some of these things if they're simply cosmetic. Um, but it's, it's, it's not a lot, I will say. Okay. Now, we already have a ban on city-owned land using these kinds of pesticides, right? That's been in place for a while now. It's been in place for a while. We still use them in, in a few places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we still use them on premier fields, you know, those... Yeah, sports fields, uh, parks. Sports, yeah, um, and we use them in hard-to-reach places, uh, you know, where it's hard to, to... Essentially, what we did was, when we brought in a ban a few years ago, was to say we're going to use less chemicals and do more mechanical removal, you know, more weed-eating, more hand-picking. Uh, but we didn't have the resources to actually do yeah. the more mechanical removal. Uh, so you're seeing the effect of that. So uh, we're using them less when they're not, it's not zero, but it's not much. Uh, but we're not, we haven't compensated with the mechanical removal either. Yeah, and you hear, and I hear a lot more people complaining about the state of some of the green spaces and boulevards and things like that than I ever do about people spraying pesticides. So do I. 
uh, and you know, and it's and it runs so from the simple to the complex. But you know, when I send uh, my kiddo to cut my front grass, if he hasn't done the trimming, then he's not done cutting the grass. Uh, but yet, that seems to be an accepted standard for our our boulevards and our medians, right? So yeah, yeah. I hear a lot about that for sure. Okay. So what happened down there on Monday, uh, both sides presenting their arguments, which is great. That's the way the system's supposed to work. Where do we go from here on this, Councillor? Well, it's so uh, we did not finish the item at committee the other day. Uh, the next step in this conversation is to hear from administration, where councillors can ask administration what their current practices are, where they would go from here, what a ban would look like, what impacts that would have, that kind of a thing. So that discussion continues on August 22nd. Um, what actually happens from there, I don't honestly know. Uh, you know, there, there's people that are experts in these things. They tend to be employed by the provincial and federal government. Uh, we don't necessarily have people that are employed in uh, you know, the testing of sure. and the understanding of the, the health impacts of these pesticides. They count on those other levels of government. So, frankly, I feel like I'm being put in a position where I'm, I'm supposed to pick the expert that I like and decide from there, and I'm not sure that that's great governance, to be honest. I mean, I guess the argument could be made, and I think you made it uh, following the session on Monday, that these are approved chemicals by the governing agencies across the country, and we need to have some trust in that's what they do. Like you say, that's not your expertise, it's theirs, and they're giving them a pass. Well, and if I can draw my own personal expertise, then, then I might do that. But I don't have that expertise in this area. And, and, they, and it's very specific. So, you know, if there's a particular compound or chemical that will help your grass grow uh, or, frankly, help a farmer, you know, create greater yield for the crops that they're yielding, those are, those are tested specifically for that instance in that amount applied in a particular way. And if you follow those instructions, then Health Canada or Alberta Environment say that's safe. Uh, if you drink it or eat it or use it in a different way, that is that that's not an automatic that that continues to be safe. It's it's very prescriptive, and and I think we need to to realize that and count on that. You know, there's a lot of things that we're ingesting that come from places where, uh, you know, some chemical treatment has aided in the yield of that crop. Uh, you know, and 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 that has been tested and that and understood by those experts to be uh, an appropriate use of that material. You, I mean, you, you are a veteran on, on Edmonton City Council due to the fact that this is your second term. A lot of first-timers, a lot of uh, newcomers on City Council, to me as an observer and somebody who's watched Council for a number of years, uh, it seems to me like we might be seeing a change in direction with City Council. Would you, would you say that that's something where some of the priorities are shifting? Like we talk about mosquitoes, we talk about pesticides. Some of the things that our City Council seems to be focused on right now seem to be different than what they were in the past. Am I out to lunch here? No, I, I don't think you are. There, there's been, you know, in the, in the last uh, seven, eight months of Council, there's been an emphasis put on things that have not been emphasized before. And I think it's important to understand that, particularly when you're a new councillor, uh, people are coming at you from all directions, right? Yeah. I need a rec centre. I need a stop sign. I need an intersection. I need, you know, I need you to stop using pesticides. I need you to stop using herbicides. Uh, and that's not to say that, that those things are not all worthy, but, it's, but I think more than there's been a shift in emphasis, it's that there's been a desire to talk about everything that has come before us and, and a sort of a lacking of sense of priority. And I, uh, I think that's a bit of what we're seeing if, if, um, if we want to sort of distinguish between this council and last council. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a decided change. Uh, Councillor, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time.
Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good day. That's Tim Cartmel, who is a city councillor in Edmonton. And yeah, I mean, we've got to focus on some issues. And I'm not saying they aren't issues, and I know they're important to some people. And there are some very passionate arguments made in favour of doing away with these pesticides down at City Council. Uh, There are some very passionate arguments made to keep the pesticides, or I mean, we keep calling them pesticides, but primarily this discussion so far has been about herbicides, using weed killer on your personal property. It's not about doing it uh, in a park or doing it uh, in a schoolyard or anything like No, this is about doing it in your backyard. Should you be allowed to do that in your backyard, make that choice for you and your family? Uh, that's the argument that is playing out here. Now, one of the groups that was very vocal down at uh, City Council this week, and you can understand why, is people in the landscape industry. Because if your job, if primary focus of your um, your business is lawn care. I mean, there's a company called Weedman. They deal. They, they have the giant tanks on them. You've seen them, right? Um, their job is to deal with the weeds. Basically, their entire business is up in the air here. If this ban were to go forward uh, on private property, that's what they do. That's the entire business model. So we'll hear from um, somebody involved in the landscape industry and get that side of the argument when we come back right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is Clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you heard the arguments uh, in favor of the pesticides, as we said, you know, people are concerned about um, health risks and things like that, right? Uh, Understandable. So they were making their case down at city council. We heard from the councillor, and now we're going to hear from the other side of this argument. Uh, Perry Stothart, who is a certified horticulturist with classic landscapes and classic gardens in Edmonton, joins us now. Hey, Perry, how you doing? Hey, Shay, how are you? Good. I should also mention Perry is not only uh, a Mr. Green Thumb, he is also a very high-level basketball ref. I saw you ref in a Stingers game recently. Yeah, I heard you yelling my name. I didn't realize it was you. Usually when people yell my name at games, I ignore them. But I was, I, I I was going to chir- chirp you, and I thought, should I, should I bother Perry or should I just let him do his job? But I waited <laughs> until it was a break in play. I wasn't going to be that guy. But uh, uh, thanks for joining us, Perry. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. So obviously, uh, a lot of people that were speaking uh, in support of leaving things the way they are when it comes to using herbicides on private property were people in your business. And understandably, um, uh, this would be very damaging for people like you, people that are in lawn care, and these are, it's, it's, it's a big part of your business, right? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I want to highlight off the bat, and, and I think, um, you know, there's sort of an undercurrent of perspectives here. Um, one of them is, that I'm seeing is that somehow that people are in the, that are in the landscape or greenhouse or gardening business are, you know, straight business people and anti-environment, and that couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of us got into this business because of a passion for, the environment, passion for things and, you know, growing things and vigorous plants and all this kind of stuff. And beautifying our community is a big part of that. And so I think that's important. And, 
And the other thing is that, you know, I've heard the term pesticide. Pesticide is sort of the umbrella term. So just to, def- you know, define it, herbicides and insecticides are branches of pesticides. So when you use the term pesticide, you're really talking about everything. Okay. And we talk about that. And so that's key. You know, and I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that, you know, this idea, and you may have heard it, of integrated pest management. You know, using pesticides is a tool. It's one tool in the toolbox. You know, we're not advocating for a spray baby spray kind of mentality right. where, you know, use it every time. We, you know, counsel people, especially in our garden centers, about, you know, planting the, the right plant in the right location and how we can take care of how we can improve the health of our soils and all these kinds of things that contribute to a healthy environment. And, um, and so to suggest that it's, you know, really an all or nothing sort of uh, mentality or that, you know, it's a straight business model and if it, the dollars don't make sense, we're not going to do it at all and we don't care about any of these other things, I, I just don't think that's really realistic. And I think that's some of the things that the city council is going to have to juggle because, you know, there's many perspectives that have been expressed. But the fact is there's a functional cost to uh, both sides of this argument. And, um, you know, like uh, Councillor Cartmel, we relayed, they don't do a lot of spraying right now. It is targeted spraying. And uh, yeah. having the option for people to have that choice uh, on their own property and whether they want to hire professionals, trained professionals, I might add, and that's a big component of this, being a licensed pesticide applicator, that test is no joke. And, um, you know, people have to study for a long period of time. It's a very difficult exam. And they're, you know, they, so they have a high level of training. So, you know, that was one of the, the things that was mentioned, too. Taking that out of the hands of professionals seems sort of counterintuitive to, you know, that whole process. Well, that's the thing, Perry. I mean, it's not like it's the Wild West. These are very heavily regulated chemicals that are not used willy-nilly, right? I mean, there are rules already in place in terms of using them on uh, city-owned land and things like that. And again, uh, they go through a pretty rigorous process before they get approval, before any of us can use them, whether they be commercial like you or just a guy in his backyard like me. 100%. And it's interesting because there are, you know, um, some talking points related to, you know, lower-risk pesticides, a lot of times people throw on the world safe and, and safe ends up being sort of a, a pivot point for both sides of the argument. What does that mean? Because it is a risk assessment. And I think that's with anything, that's the way it is. And maybe that sounds a little bit too uh, sterile, but that's the fact. I mean, you're going to judge costs yep. and you're going to judge uh, the health and the impact it has on the environment. All these things are part of what Health Canada or the PMRA, which is the pest management regulatory, you know, they, they are an arm of Health Canada that examines this. Well, even what we consider lower risk or soft pesticides, some of these alternative pesticides that are being proposed in place of some of the other chemicals, um, they're still regulated, the PMRA. They still go through studies. They still have, so to be used in this category, whether they're considered, you know, less invasive or whatever terms you want to use, um, they still go through the same regulatory process. And so at the end of the day, education is important, um, you know, giving people um, the right to know and, and understand um, and I think, frankly, uh, you know, to touch on one other point that Councillor Cartmel made, you know, Council has examined this and not too far in the past. Mm-hmm. And so the fact is that you get a new council, it's like, OK, well, you know, the fact that they ruled uh, one way before and, and didn't want to have it or have managed it in the way they have, that somehow we have a new council and, and they'll understand better than everybody else. Well, the fact is we understand this question quite well and, and we're making this decision. Right. And, and so I think. So the idea that, well, because you don't agree with me, clearly you don't understand well enough. I mean, we understand this process quite well. We understand integrated pest management quite well, which does celebrate the environment. It does celebrate biodiversity, but it is just one tool. And it doesn't mean that we don't educate and, uh, and help people have, 
you know, the opportunity to have, you know, beautiful landscapes, whether it's in our boulevards or whether it's in our private, you know, residences. So, I mean, how closely are you and your industry colleagues going to be watching this as it develops? I mean, we know it's happened in Winnipeg. They're backing off of now. Regina's looking at it. I mean, how closely is this something that the industry is keeping an eye on? Well, for sure, it's a big issue uh, with the industry. Um, you know, there's variations within our industry. We have, you know, partners all over the place yeah. um, in terms of associations and, and do a wide range of landscape construction versus, you know, lawn maintenance and other things we talk about. But, you know, it is an issue because I think when you talk about the idea that, um, you know, our industry as a whole doesn't care about the environment like I talked about, and I mean, that's just not the case. I mean, we love we love it. I, I planted more trees and shrubs, I'm sure, than most people. And um, and so the idea that we can use tools to that will help um, not only not only the cosmetic look and cosmetic is not a technical term. It's a you know it's a marketing term. Right. The idea that it's non-essential. So we do talk about levels of tolerance. If you came to me, uh, Shay, and you said I've got three dandelions in my yard, I'm going to talk to you about how three is okay. You know, right. yeah. Like yeah. You can live with them, dig them out, and and frankly, you know, digging out a few dandelions on your personal property is fine, but it's not. Um, you know, it's not val- you know valuable or valid in a larger area when you have you know huge parks. And we've all seen you know, that. sending we've out people it. to pull weeds by hand. I mean, yeah. you're just not going to do it. And you know, goats. I-, I find goats interesting, and-, and I think they're kind of a cool talking point. But they're not a program that you can do on mass. And it's interesting because there's even been some studies that have shown that some of the you know problem weeds go right through goats, and it yes. doesn't impact the weed seeds at all. And and so it's not really you know, accomplishing you know, in a large scale what we need to accomplish. We have a large city, um, and uh, we're not using just one tool. We're using, you know, dozens and dozens of different tools, and they all have a place, I believe. And I think that measured approach is one that an industry supports, and I think that, you know, most people in Edmonton would support as well. Perry, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. All right. Take care, Shay. Talk to you later. That's Perry Stothart, who is a certified horticulturist with cult, uh, Classic Landscapes and Classic Gardens in Edmonton, representing, um, I think that was primarily, that was the largest group that was speaking down at uh, Edmonton City Council um, in favor of leaving things the way that they are. going to have a conversation here about a story uh, we touched on last week and we followed uh, a bit since then, but it's still going on. You'll remember that Nancy Pelosi paid a visit to Taiwan last, what was it, Thursday, last Friday? And ever since, um, China has reacted in a number of different ways. The one that gets the most attention is the military exercise. China has sent military ships and planes across the midline in the Strait of Taiwan. Um, and they've launched missiles into the waters surrounding the island. These drills started last week on Thursday, uh, and they've carried on ever since. It, it's messed up flight schedules, uh, shipping through what is one of the busiest areas of shipping in in the world. Um, and uh, they haven't said when they're going to end. They just keep escalating. It's getting more and more um, tense in that part of the world. And China has not given any indication that they'll be scaling it back. They've made their point. No, there's, there's no indication we're getting to that level yet. So let's find out what's going on. We're going to chat with Quan Wei Chen, who is the executive director at the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. Uh, Quan Wei, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Hi, good morning, Shay. Thank you for having me on the show. So this escalation that we're seeing from China over this situation, it's not, I mean, this isn't new necessarily, right? We have seen things like this before. This has been going on for some time, right? Exactly. It's uh, this, uh, this is what 
uh, experts call the probably the fourth uh, Taiwan Street Crisis. You know, there were similar incidents in the 1950s and 60s, and the late last one was 1996, uh, when the former president of Taiwan visited the U.S. You know, China also went irate over that, mm-hmm. and they also conducted very similar drills. Um, and this is the latest in such shows of aggression towards Taiwan and also regional, uh, regional countries. What we're seeing in terms of a response this time, though, it's more than usual, right? It seems to be much more um, angry. Uh, it's, it's an escalation over what we've seen previously, isn't it? It, it is. And, and, and it's, it baffles the mind why uh, specifically Nancy Pelosi, because they have been, you know, visitors by uh, legislators from across the globe to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is the strongest reaction. Uh, it may be that, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you know, she, I, I don't know if listeners recall, back in 1989, she went to Tiananmen Square and unfurled a banner, you know, supporting the democracy activists of China. And so maybe, you know, in China or Beijing's eyes, that's... Uh, She's she's a black, someone's on blacklist. Oh, I didn't so, remember so, that. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so she's she's always been very outspoken about human rights in China and also been a firm supporter of Taiwan. And so this visit is quite symbolic. But again, um, they have been previous visits by foreign dignitaries and legislators. Um, and this this is this response is quite unusual. Really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. Now, this is all based around China's one po- the one China policy, right? That, that that's basically what it is. They've they've laid claim to Taiwan, and you take a look at the response from other countries around the world, including the United States. Uh, the 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 position the, it, it's sort of ambiguous. It's certainly not as clearly stated as China's position is. That's right. So so there is a divide between what China calls the one China principle, which is that uh, there's only one China. And Taiwan belongs to that right. China, and what other countries in the world adhere to as the One China policy. Right. So the policy is that okay, we acknowledge, we understand your position that you know there's One China and Taiwan belongs to this China. They don't make an outright statement whether they actually agree and support support that understanding. They just acknowledge that position, and 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 so this put this. Ambiguity, ambiguity, as you as you call it, it's it's persisted since pretty much in, from the 1970s onwards. Yeah, um, it's just because a lot of countries, you know, they want to engage China. It's a huge market. It's got a lot of potential, economic potential, um, and so you know, in order to placate the Chinese government's views, you know, they acknowledge its position. Yet, um, I think with time, as this latest incident is showing, um, that ambiguity. Is shifting, right? It's it's yeah, it's, um, not, not in everyone's favor. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's that's part of in China's feeling that shift, and 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 they're pushing back just as hard. Now we've talked about the military exercise, but um, that's not where it ends, Quanwei, Right? I mean, there's also sanctions. There's the end of some discussion around some pretty important global topics. So it's not just military here. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think China is just pulling pulling everything out to demonstrate to the world its displeasure at what Nancy Pelosi is doing. Um, but the world also is reacting to this because it's not just, you know, China has made this claim uh, and, and repeated its position that Taiwan belongs to China, Taiwan belongs to China. But, you know, what is the legal basis of that claim? Right? Obviously, yeah. 
you know, by making such visits to Taiwan, by engaging Taiwan in, you know, various ways, you know, economically, militarily, um, countries demonstrate through their practice that you know, we believe Taiwan is a separate entity and the people of Taiwan deserve to live in peace and freedom as they do. But as you said, legally speaking, it gets into that area where we don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, can, can China just continue this indefinitely until somebody stands up? And, and as you've said, no country appears willing to do that. I mean, I, th- I think I think um, with the behavior of China, and this is this is just a series of incidents, right? The, the, the Taiwan, the latest Taiwan Street incident um, crisis, it's just a series of missteps or or, or you know, severe reactions or overreactions by China in response to uh, the world affairs. Um, I think, you know, from the time when Chairman uh, Chairman Xi came to power, he's really taken a hard line, and you know turn China inwards, um, and also the handling of the, you know, COVID-19 crisis, mm-hmm. the way, you know, China tried to blame actually the rest of the world for uh, unleashing the virus. Um, you know, it's, it's been just a number of missteps and, and, and uh, frictions with other countries. Um, I, I, perhaps it's, it comes from a sense of insecurity. Uh, there's a lot of you know, internal political uh, infighting within the party, in the Com- Chinese Communist Party. Um, so maybe Xi Jinping wants to act out and be, you know, be portrayed or right. seen as a strong leader. A strong leader, yeah, m- makes sense. Yeah. What? Uh, wh- how does this end? What's 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 the outcome in your opinion? Uh, the outcome, we're not sure. I mean, I mean, I think I think you know, again, like I, like I mentioned in my article, this is not this does not just affect Taiwan. Right? Uh, ironically, you know, China calls this a, a domestic affair. That you know, no country should interfere with you know China's sovereignty and violate its you know, you know territorial integrity and so on. But you know, by reacting and overreacting, it's actually internationalizing the situation. And you know, we've seen in the last two three years, you know, countries like Japan, Australia have uh, expressed concern about the situation. This is not just an issue between Taiwan and China. This is going to impact and affect potentially if you, you know, God forbid, the, the you know, the uh, an invasion of Taiwan. This will affect the security of also Japan, right? Japanese sure. Prime Minister Kishida has also said, you know, the latest incident poses a, a you know grave concern for the security of Japan and the safety of the people of Japan, right? and 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 we must be prepared to act, you know forcefully and in a concerted manner to prevent a Ukraine-like invasion of Taiwan by China. Yeah, I mean, there's so much much at stake here. Uh, Kwanwei, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me on the show. Take care. Yeah, have a good day. That is Kwanwei Chen, who is the Executive Director at the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. 
pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Trump news today. Uh, the former president um, declined to answer any questions today during an appearance before the New York State Attorney General. This is a, a civil investigation into his family's business practices. It's been going on for a while. He was supposed to show up for a deposition today. Took the fifth, as they say, which, um, okay, that's your right. As a U.S. citizen, you can plead the fifth. Maybe later, if we have time, I can play you some of the many, many examples where Donald Trump's and anybody who takes the fifth is obviously a crook, but we'll get into that in a minute. Let's go back to the raid of Mar-a-Lago. And yeah, I'm calling it a raid. I know some people won't, but that's what it is when the FBI shows up. Um, we're continuing to learn a little bit more about it, find out exactly what happened. A lot of questions and you know what? And, it, and there's a lot of people saying, we want some clarity around this. You've raided the president of the United States of America. Uh, why? It's got to be a pretty high bar. Uh, so we'll see where this goes in the coming days. Um, but let's have a conversation about it with Matt Lebo now, who's the department chair and professor of political science at Western University. Matt, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Sure, you're welcome. So, yeah, I mean, when we talk about um, raiding the private residence of a former president of the United States, you must think, Matt, I mean, it's completely unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it. The bar has to be pretty high, doesn't it? I think so. They they have to know with pretty much certainty uh, what they're looking for, what they're going to find, uh, that they're going to find it, and um, that it will be you know open and closed and justifying that uh, that it was worth doing something so unprecedented. I mean, we've used unprecedented more uh, in the last four or five years surrounding Donald Trump and his presidency than ever before. But really and truly, do you? The, the political implications of what took place at Mar-a-Lago, um, I think, how much consideration do you think went into whether or not this would even happen and how long it's been talked about and what kind of, um, you know, uh, wrangling went on in the, behind the scenes to make sure that this had to be done? Or do you think this was something that was just entered into because it's what normally happens? Well, I think that that the the White House and the executive branch would have been smart to to be totally out of this, to let the Department of Justice and the FBI, they, they would have told them, you do what you're going to do, right. and that the attorney general and that the uh, director of the FBI would not have been informing them so that at no point when this, this will be investigated and talked about, and it's possible that Republicans will hold the majority in the House and can have all sorts of hearings on this, they will want to truthfully be able to say, we didn't get any political direction about this at all. It had nothing to do with politics. That won't be believed. And, uh, it, it will not be believed by 40% of, of the people, no. Um, but that, does that mean that they shouldn't have done it at all? I, I, I don't think so. I think I think the, the FBI has to investigate crimes, and, and yeah. if, if Donald Trump committed crimes, and there's lots of evidence that he did, then he should be investigated uh, in many ways. I think, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, do we believe in the rule of law and nobody is above the law? And if that's what really we're saying and doing, then we're going to have to take all of the fallout that's going to come with what we're doing. Let's talk about what they're after. As far as we know, it's about the handling of classified documents, correct? Right. 
So a, a, a little while ago, there was a handing over of classified documents um, from Mar-a-Lago to, um, to the presidential archives. And this um, warrant seemed to be looking for additional uh, classified information that was uh, in documents that were not handed over. Um, and so I, I'm reading that, that they, there's a witness or someone who has said that there were additional documents, and they have said exactly where they were. Uh, the, you know, Donald Trump yelled, they even went into my safe. Well, probably someone told the FBI uh, what they would find in that safe. Um, so this is, you know, this is not necessarily about January 6th or all the other things that right. Trump is being investigated about. But there are, you know, there are real uh, rules, some, some rules that Donald Trump signed into law about holding on to uh, classified documents. Um, I guess the question, we don't know the answer to this, but just based on, you know, what you know about this kind of a situation, would it be simply housekeeping, sloppy handling of these kinds of documents? Or, I mean, would that be enough to justify what we've seen? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's a lot of speculation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and, you know, so I, we may never know just what it is that, that he is holding on to. It may be, you know, it's classified stuff. So um, it could have national security implications. Um, but uh, I, 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 again, can't imagine that these are just, you know, some little bit of sloppiness that they did something that uh, they know is going to um, get such a strong reaction among Republicans. So it, I would think it has to be something pretty substantial. You mentioned the reaction among Republicans. Donald Trump is the former president, but he wants to be the next president, too. Uh, and uh, there's, I mean, it's almost accepted that he will announce a run very, very soon. Um, this is a, I would think, a big, big win for him, especially, I mean, if he doesn't end up in jail, this just absolutely bolsters the narrative that he has where everybody's out to get him. It's a deep state plot and he needs to fix it and only he can fix it. Would you agree that this puts him politically in an extremely good position? Well, you know, there's there's the chunk of Republican voters who are with him no matter what, that he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. Um, but there there is some chipping away of that group of voters, and there's some chipping away of the politicians who will stand behind him. Uh, as he looks to getting the 2024 Republican nomination for president, that's not a sure thing. And uh, he's got, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida, who, who may have been quite helpful in, in having this uh, warrant executed. Um, and, uh, you know, losing little bits here and there can cost him for, for getting that uh, nomination. It's certainly among the people who would do anything for him. It fires them up. But, you know, they were already pretty fired up. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, what do you think comes next of this? I mean, uh, do, do we get more disclosure? Uh, people are calling on um, uh, the Attorney General to come forward, the Director of the FBI to come forward and present the case to the public and uh, so that they can restore uh, confidence in, in, in law enforcement in that country. Do you think something like that is required? What happens next here? I'm not sure. It, it might be that... Um uh, the FBI announces uh, what was found, that they, they have to pretty quickly. I, I would imagine this is coming towards the end of an investigation. If there's charges to be filed, that, that they would announce those soon. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to sort of talk about the political ramifications of, uh, of what's going on. You know, Donald Trump can publicize. He can say this is, this is the warrant yep. that they served yep. me. This is what they found. There's lots of things that he could say that he's not saying. He could say, uh, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. But he's not saying that. 
He's saying they planted evidence. And what about uh, Hillary? And what about um, uh, Hunter Biden? And um, this is all retribution. But he has not said yet, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and we don't even know what he's accused of doing at this point. So, I mean, there's still a lot more of this story to be told. Matt, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. That is Matt Liebel, who is a department chair and professor of political science at Western University. And yes, I mean, the list of Republicans demanding that the attorney general and the FBI come forward and present the case to the American people is growing longer by the minute. But they're not alone. Some very well-known Trump critics, some very prominent Democrats have come out and said the exact same thing. And I think that's just... That's smart. The the recognition here that no matter what happens with this, and we talked about this yesterday, reality really doesn't enter into this. It's passion. It's tribal. It's us versus them. It's that response is built in and whatever comes of this will not matter. So the political fallout of this is going to be far more uh, impactful than anything else. And I don't know how important it is for Christopher Ray of the FBI to come forward and say, this is what we were looking for. This is why. This is what we found. This is what it means. Because already, I mean, it's on the text line and it's, uh, you know, Trump's lawyers on Fox News yesterday saying, well, if they found anything, the FBI put it there. It was planted. I mean, and that's the world we live in now. And it's not going to change with this conversation. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.